Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed a whole bunch of different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode 18, Jams. An improv jam is basically the improv version of an open mic. Show up to the jam, throw your name in a bucket, and the jam hosts will go through the bucket about five names at a time and do a short set. Then they will draw five more names and do another set. Here in New York City, the UCB jams are mostly at the UCB Theater East Village, but there are several that run throughout the month. For instance, the Improv Jam, hosted by the Pajama Jam crew, which I'm part of, and there are many others. The Diversity Jam, the Improv Nerds Jam, the XYZ Jam, the Lady Jam, BYOT, and many, many others. The Pit nearby also has improv jams every night of the week. There's jams in many different places. So it's an easy, quick way to get stage time, especially when you're starting out and don't have a regular practice group. Or, no matter what your level, it's a great way to practice on getting out in front of an audience. First up is Devin Ritchie. Devin hosts several different improv jams and also has, since starting out in improv, gone to jams consistently. This was recorded last year in May of 2017. So I want to talk about the jams because the jams are something that yeah. I know less about because they're, they're newer. They're like five-ish years right, old. Right, which so. is exactly how old I am. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I started going to jams when I was like a 201 student. I think it's a way to a, break into the community and meet a lot of people and to get a lot of reps in and to play with people who are on Herald Night and weekend mm-hmm. teams and stuff. That was very exciting. I just kept going to jams. I, I would always have it as like some free improv practice. And I always had this thing where I'm like, because a lot of people hate jams. A lot yeah. of people are like, I can't do that. It's like the buzzer goes off. There's so many people on stage. I'm never going to get out. But then why are the good people good at it? You right. know? And it was like a challenge to myself, like to see if the cream can rise to the top, to yeah. see if you can be good at the jams. Um, and then you start to get to know everybody and it is a culture. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you think you grew because of the jams it's definitely a comfortability on stage Mm -hmm. um it's learning how to play with anyone and there are some jams i did not used to get out there you know and like the whole 10 minutes would go by or whatever and i'd be like oh great i was in one group scene where i said nothing and and it just it gave me those extra reps every week that i learned how to be in a show better you know and i've noticed for a lot of people in classes they wouldn't have an indie team or wouldn't have a practice group Mm -hmm. and wouldn't go to jams and this is their only performance outlet of their week and for me it shows and i try to have as many performance opportunities as i possibly can so that i'm good in my classes and i'm good in my shows and i'm good in my jam you know like i have this theory of like kind of emptying the chamber you know okay so before you get to your improv i think that when you do like the first half an hour of your improv in a day you're just kind of recycling some ideas yeah. you've been having or the shows you're watching or the books you're reading and stuff. And I'm just, I try to get rid of those as quickly as possible. Yeah. And it's reps that is going to get you to like your weirder, deeper, sixth, seventh ideas. That's great. Yeah. When Shannon O'Neill teaches and coaches, often she'll just like do 15 minutes of improv, no suggestion, anything from your day. Mm-hmm. And it's that. It's just like, let me just purge all of that like. It's getting your gunk out of your pipes. Yeah. It's like literally stretching before your run. You know, it's just like flushing out all this stuff. Like, let's get this rusty bucket ready to right. make pretend with adults on right. a Wednesday night or whatever. Right. That was Devin Ritchie. Now here's X Maya. 
like I feel like I first met you at jams, yes. right? Oh. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about first, what do you feel like you got from doing jams when you were coming up? First of all, mama loves to jam, okay? I, like, listen, I was insane, reckless, first coming up. If I, and quote me, well, you can because I'm saying it. <laughs> this is a quoting, this sir. A that's quote. what a podcast is. Because, oh, right, right, okay, yeah, I know podcasts. I would not be on a house team at UCB if it had not been for the jams, period. Mm-hmm. I would not be where I'm at in comedy if it had not been for the jams. Jams make you sharper, quicker, faster, kinder. Because you have you don't know these people. Mm-hmm. You don't and you just have to go to them. You it's just like reckless abandonment of your idea and ego and just going to the person to serve them in the scene. So the reason why I was going to jams though, because I was like, it's free. Yeah. It's <laughs> like it's free and it's I can it's I am insane with stage time. I love on uh, there's gonna be a stage in my home when I get money to build it. I want a stage. Um, I'm on my bed on a stage. I love the stage. It's so good. And so to be able to be at to do that and then for free. And then I got to be with like my comedy heroes. Like I got to see like Mike Kelton. I remember the first time I saw Mike Kelton, I was like, oh my God, who is this person? Where does he was he doing? I can never speak to him. And then after a show at the pit loft at Pioneers, Keaton Patty was next to him. I was like, Keaton Patty, oh my God, I love Mike Kelton. He's right there. He was like, X, talk to him. I was like, no. <laughs> like to be able to play with people like that, it's just like, wow, 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 wow. So it was like, it was jams were and are everything. In what ways do you feel like it made you like sharper and faster? It made me sharper and faster because I had no time to think. Because you don't know what the hell this person could do. I remember there was one bitch. She came in and she kept eating a dragon heart in every scene. We would tag her out and she would not leave. And she was just like, I got this. Give me that. A dragon heart? A dragon's. It's the heart of a dragon. She kept eating it. Every scene, she was like, and I got this dragon heart. And she just would eat it. She's like, hum, 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 hum. right? And so I was like, she probably is like, you know, on a weekend team. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I was like, okay, she's probably sweet, sweet one on one. You know, let me go talk to her. And I was just like, hi, you know, welcome, you know, to UCB. Like, how's your experience been? Like, what, what, uh, who's your teacher? She was like, what? I was like, no, like, what, what, what's uh, class are you in right now? She was like, I don't take classes. And I was like, oh, okay. So how, do you know this is like a improv? She's like, I just came in. <laughs> She's like, I came in and I saw you guys are funny. I went to get on stage too. I said, oh, okay. So you have that. Mm-hmm. You have people that are experienced. You have people that just mosey in off the street. And you just got to be. And I had to justify, like, why do we have a heart? Why is there another heart in another scene? Mm-hmm. How can I make this funny? How can I make, make her look like a genius, not make her look crazy? Like, yeah. she's just, because, you know, it's very hard to spin that dragon heart, babe. And <laughs> it's hard to spin it once, let alone, like, again, and then again mm-hmm. the third time. Yeah. Right. And then when they're not up top, yeah, Curtis, and they don't hear the, the less lessons of how you tag out and how you move and how you mm-hmm. groove. So people aren't tagging around. She's just looking around like, who is touching me? Who fucking touching me? Who would me? tap me on the shoulder <laughs> while I'm eating a dragon heart? <laughs> just menace. <laughs> yeah, insane. But yeah, so um, definitely in that regard, it made me like sharper and quicker because it's like you don't have time to think. You just, you, just, you just have to go and do. And it made me trust myself even more. Mm-hmm. I really, for the most part, trust my moves. Like right now on Herald, I'm really not because... Everyone's so good, and I'm just like, why am I on here all night? I'm, 
why am I here? <laughs> you know, what everybody on Harold Knight or Lloyd Knight says to themselves constantly. I'm just like, just yeah. like why? <laughs> Me? I'm the imposter. Yeah. I don't get, especially when you're on a team with Luke Field, who's just oh like, oh my God. I mean, he just walks He's a out. dragon heart eater. <laughs> like, he could do a thousand scenes of eating dragon hearts and everyone and would be would different kill. and hilarious. Yes. And just being with him, Curtis, and he just walks out and he just like looks to the left and I die. I pee a little bit in my panties and it's just. Yeah, so it's like it's like really hard, but yeah, jams have made me uh, in that regard sharper and quicker. What were some of the things that you noticed from the jam leaders that mm-hmm. you then were like, I've got to take this to my own play, either to your own play and for you as an eventual jam leader? Because they attack, like to see her. Who's who's the Joanna Bradley? Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the way that she just, she knows who she is. and She knows what she does. Like, you, Curtis, you you trust that move. Even when you walk into a scene, it's like he knows what he's about to do. And he knows. And even if I, even if you didn't know, I couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. So it's really just a fact that, like, what I really got from the jam leaders is that they trust their instincts. And if there ever was a time that they didn't, baby, they faked it till they made it. Because <laughs> I couldn't fucking tell. I would watch it, like, I remember at first coming to a jam, and I was like, who wrote the second scene? How, how did they write that one? Because you never did improv. Yeah. They were like, they never wrote I said, oh, on cocaine. Everyone here is on drugs. How do they move that fast? That is insane to me, and it was so good. Mm-hmm. And they, and they do songs, and then they then they danced, and then and then they went back and they like tied it back around with the bow. And I remember when they started out in a video arcade. Now they're back in the video arcade. What? It's crazy to me. You know what's so crazy? Like the audience eats it up, and I love the audience, but they're stupid. And you just what you do is is if if you mention a specific up top and a location, and you bring it back around. Literally, even as me as an audience, when I'm in the audience, I'm stupid. So I watch it, and I'm like, oh my god, I watch Harold and I, and I do Harold's all the time. And then when they tie that shit together, I'm like, ah! And I know all they have to do is say like, yeah, yeah we were on a couch first beat, and now we're on a couch in third beat. It's like, oh. Two couches. <laughs> and then you got, you know, you got Vincent Moore with that sweet, sweet object work. It's like, this is really a couch. Mm-hmm. I'm on a couch. Yeah. I'm sitting, I'm watching two people on a couch. <laughs> so it's just like they attack and they trust Morgan Miller, watched her like a hawk. Mm-hmm. You know, like just just the way that she's just like, I'm gonna do this thing. And not, you guys didn't do it with cockiness. It was really just confidence that you trusted. And then sometimes when I would watch you guys make a move, and then someone will make a move that didn't support that, like you would set up a, a suite, like we're at a DMV, and someone's like, you know, I'm an octopus. And you know, Curtis is like, okay. You know, and, and, and you just go with it and you move with it. But first coming up, I was like, why the fuck did she say she octopus? Clearly his ass in the motherfucking DMV. Caroline Martin told me we can't have too many unusual things. So, so we already got a motherfucking DMV that's too packed and it's hot outside. So it's a DMV that's outside. Yo octopus ass want to come in. So I would get mad. I would right. get mad for y'all. But y'all would never get mad. And I was like, that's one thing I learned too. Abandon. What you think? Fuck it. It don't matter now. Now it's not about that. Yeah. Because then why, why, why not abandon it? Because then we're gonna be in a fight. Yeah. Now we just fighting about the fucking octopus in the DMV. But just put the octopus in the DMV. Get that bitch a license to get her out. Yeah. Like there we go. <laughs> yeah. And once you're like on the like jam leader side, or once you've done a lot of jams, the like ego part of it, you kind of release of like when you're in class and you say, "Oh, I'm in a DMV," and then somebody else says, "I'm an octopus." It's like, well, you just shit on my move. That was yeah. you saying no to me. Yeah. But then when you're on the other side, it's like, okay, this 
person just didn't hear, didn't know, or... Yeah. Some is, people really want to get that octopus yeah. line out. Babe, listen. <laughs> listen, if you're watching this and you're auditioning to be on UCB, Spo loves a good octopus line. <laughs> Give me good eight good tentacles, mm-hmm. and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's just one of those facts. It's like, a- it's just every year, the people who do scenes about octopuses get Get on... on you see the house teams instantly yeah. weekend. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> you see him on uh, you see him on, Zach Cherry. He did one octopus scene and now Sebastian Canelli. Yeah, babe, always good. Always yeah. good. Amazing. <laughs> uh, are there any other things that you try to keep in mind now when you lead jams and that mm-hmm. kind of thing? Oh, babe, I know who's not coming out. I always watch that back line. Mm-hmm. I call them out and I make sure to serve them and gift them with like a sweet sweet game that they could just play like. Like a real simple like A to B like I, if you if you only got to get into one scene I'll make sure to be like stay back do the next set mm-hmm. you know one thing is that Devin Ritchie who I love I tell the story all the time when he made me his sister in a scene that was the first time I ever came off the back line because I first I first I started going to jam signing up they would call my name I wouldn't go up and I'd be like who is this ex character oh my gosh she's so evil she never went up babe we should not let her come back ever evil evil who is this bitch I'm like she got guys and they're like they're like she, I'm like yeah she never goes up I don't know you guys shouldn't let her go I wouldn't let her sign up. <laughs> I get her. Put her face on outside. We have the right to refuse service. <laughs> and then I started, I said, next step, mm-hmm. you go on stage. So I started going on stage, but I would hug that back line for dear life, babe. And Devin Ritchie, he called me, uh, made me his sister in the scene. It's the first time in the scene. He served up the best game. I don't know, but it, I just remember a lot of people laughing. And it was so good. And so that was so important to be seen. Someone sees me, even though I'm like hiding in these wings and to know that you you see me and you want me to win is so powerful. So those those that's the main thing I take away. And I think just in life that people know that I see them. Yeah. Yeah. That was X. Now we're going to talk some more about hosting jams. Here is Lydia Hensler. Let's talk about the jam. Okay. Grandma's Ashes hosted the jam for a year? Yeah. Cool. I think so. What are the things that you guys specifically tried to do when you host? to make it a good experience for the Um, jammers? I think we're a really loving, silly team. Mm -hmm. And so I think that approach of just like, we're just gonna make, everything's fine and we're gonna make everything awesome. And like, you're you're great, you know? Like, you're great, your idea's great, we're gonna make it great. I credit Jordan Klepper so much. I'm so grateful to be on Grandma's Ashes and I love all our teammates so much. I feel like he gave us so much permission to be our silly selves and to not worry about game, like all that stuff. He was always just very like, find the most fun way to do everything. Like Mm -hmm. just find the most fun way. And it gave us permission to indulge in all the silly while playing game. You know, there just was like no... I was never nervous, you Mm -hmm. know? It was just like, well, everybody has my back. They really have my back. And so I think... We wanted everyone to feel safe and like excited to be silly and see what happens. And so I think we had a genuine joy for all the possibilities of the scenes. And we just wanted everyone to feel really included and safe. And so I think that's that's why we love doing the jam so much because mm-hmm. I think we were able to facilitate that in a, in a meaningful way. I also feel like the, just the community aspect of it, I think we, we 
genuinely like in our hearts really loved hosting it because it brought the community together so much and you'd see the same people every week coming and you'd see the same people every week coming and like getting better you know and you're like this is working and and it was such a great way to feel a part of a community even if you never get on a team it's like you're still here you're still a part of this community you're still performing on the UCB stage right now and performing with people who are on teams and other students and it just felt like a really nice gathering Uh, so it was really fun and just the scenes were really fun I mean I felt like every set tended to be like a blast so it was a really good time and then yeah but I think the thing we always looked out for was just to make sure everybody had a moment on stage so we would do this at the lady jam too like if we noticed that somebody hadn't been in scenes yet it would just to go and like get like Mm -hmm. try and pull them out and initiate to them or just have them involved so I think there'd be a lot of group scenes too just to make sure everybody was like in this scene and then something we would often do I mean our jams ran really long (laughs) but I think like uh, we would say you know on our system like if you didn't get in a scene come on up which I think if you're too nervous to step out you're probably not going to come on up again but but that's something I say to my so you get like at the very end even if you were already in a set but in that set but didn't get out that's great yeah we would always try to do that I mean, it didn't always work out time-wise or whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think sometimes I, in one, just because nerves has always been something that I've dealt with, I I try and tell my students in 101, like sometimes if, if you're, go, just have like a tiny little, or not even 101, like any level, like have a tiny goal for yourself for these jams because it can be ca- like a chaotic yeah. whirlwind. And sometimes if, like if you're just starting out in improv, that is overwhelming. You know, there's like 60 people there maybe. And, uh, you're, and you're there for like two hours to do maybe one two-minute set. Yeah. And or two-minute scene. Yeah. Two-minute scene. And you're, you'll be there with like a, like a teacher's in your scene or something. Like it can feel really intimidating. And so, so, you know, I've had people go to the jam and not put their name in the bucket because they're too nervous. And so I'm like, maybe you just start with like, I went up. They called yeah. my name and I went up, yeah. you know, and that's fine. And it, maybe you are in a group scene and you don't utter a word, but you were on stage in a scene reacting mm-hmm. and you didn't say anything, but you were there. And then give yourself a goal for the next week. It's like, I'm going to utter a phrase, you know, <laughs> like I, I will react verbally this time. So then when, you know, you're like in 301 or whatever, or 201, you're like, oh, I'm going to initiate. I'm mm-hmm. going to try and initiate or I'm going to, you know, try and label game when I see it, that kind of thing. Because I think as collaborative of an experience it is you are trying to learn yeah. and going to these jams can feel so fun and chaotic but they can also feel like whoa what just happened to me <laughs> you know so I think if you're if you have like a tiny goal for yourself it'll be really helpful right and that way you're incrementally getting over any nerves yeah. or any hesitation about am I doing it right or wrong or that kind of thing yeah. of just yeah. And I think I'll say that like two things. I would say like nerves for me, I feel like reps got rid of them more yeah. than anything else. Like just doing it a ton. Mm-hmm. Finally, it like broke it down where uh, every scene I would like every show didn't feel so precious because there'd be another show, which allowed me to relax, which immediately made all the mm-hmm. shows better. And then and so reps in that way and then just doing it more too. Then you like the technique becomes ingrained in your bones. Yeah. So it's just easier to respond in a way that makes scenes work. And then the other thing I would do with nerves, I remember being very nervous on Herald Night and I would be like an actor and be like, I'm going to play confident Lydia Hensler does mm-hmm. a Herald, you know? And so, and eventually those things would just mold together, right. you know? So it was just like, oh, now I don't have to pretend to be confident. I just am. But it was definitely like, like panicked backstage. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say just about Grandma's Ashes hosting the jam, it made us better. Mm-hmm. Like I felt, it felt like grad school. Like if you're up there, do you're doing like, you know, 10 sets in a night or something, yeah. like just really quick. And like, 
like I felt like my job was just to make things work. Yeah. You know, it's like I just want to hang back, let everybody do scenes. And I'm just going to make what when things don't work, I'm going to make sure they work. And I think we all felt that way that it felt like like weights at the gym. Yeah, I was just about to yeah. say it's like running with ankle weights or something. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, now with that off, now that I'm not aggressively trying to make sure every single scene. And then when you come back together, yeah, with your teammates that you're so comfortable with and that you know, have been doing this for years right. and years. It's like, oh God, this is so easy, right. you know? It's like, oh, when I'm lifting, you know, 40 pounds, like holding a pencil is nothing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. That was Lydia Hensler. And now here's Kelsey Bailey. This was also recorded last year in March. And I asked Kelsey, what makes a good jam leader? A good jam leader understands that they are not there to be putting on like a great show. Yeah. Like you're there to amplify the students in the audience or the people who put their name in the bucket. They don't even have to be students. Mm -hmm. I think it's when someone is like trying to be in every scene in a way that's not helping to bring more people in or to make sense mm -hmm. of what's going on. And it's just for the stage time. I think that that sort of can be seen by... A lot of people, it's kind of like, oh, well, this person just thinks this is another slot at UCB. It's not like we're here to help students to amplify them or like help make mm -hmm. sense of their or declutter their ideas or their initiations or anything to help make sense of that. As a jam leader, you go in being kind of like, oh, I don't need to crush this. I have to help them crush it. Mm -hmm. And that has to be fulfilling enough for you to continue to do it. Right. What are some of like the ways that you've like seen other people or that you like to do? I mean, you specifically mentioned like decluttering mm -hmm. ideas and amplifying like their ideas and their voice. Right. Yeah, I think it's like kind of if it's like two people in a scene and they sort of like have stated the weird thing, but maybe they're not playing it exactly. They're like kind of skirting around it or they have too many things going on. I'll try and do a walk on that sort of like clarifies like, hey, you're the guy who has cat paws for hands or whatever, <laughs> just so that they sort of understand like, oh yeah, that was the idea. Right. And then they can play it or doing a tag. My favorite thing to do as a jam leader is to always initiate group games because it gets everybody out yeah. there. Because uh, there are some people who kind of slink to the back and like won't step out if unless you like literally point to them or mm -hmm. initiate a group game. And I think that's also just a way for everyone to feel comfortable to know that everyone's out there. Because I do think it is also a little daunting if you see someone who's slinking towards the back and you're a jam leader and then you call them out to do a two-person scene with you. Mm -hmm. They might feel uncomfortable with that as well. Like, yeah. So the strength in numbers with a group game is my go-to yeah. to like make everyone involved. How good are you at like remembering who hasn't done a scene yet? I feel like I'm very bad at that every time. Um, I think I'm getting better at it. There's like, you normally just kind of check the corners and you see if there's someone there and if you haven't seen them out. Uh, I also have like learned a lot of who the jammers are. So right. like if they come up, you're like, oh, Ryan's been out. So Ryan's fine. Otter's been out. Otter's mm -hmm. fine. And you just like learn their names. And so it makes a lot, there's a huge community around jamming as we all know. So like once you sort of get used to that, you can tell when someone hasn't been out. Right. Yeah. How do you think going to the jams and being one of those, like those jam regulars, mm -hmm. what parts of improv do you think that makes those people stronger at? And mm -hmm. what weaknesses can develop, sure. if any? If you're a jammer, you, I can only imagine that you do great in an audition room because you know how to handle anything that's thrown at you, especially when people are nervous. I think the kids who did, I mean, X has been doing improv for maybe like a year it's something or little, like that yeah she goes to every jam and she got on a Lloyd team this year because she probably just you just learn how to play with all types of people Devin Ritchie was taken off Lloyd mm -hmm. he was a jam leader through a year he hosts two jams he does the traffic jam and he does the XYZ jam he's just learned how to play with everyone and also just from it's, consistently practicing yes. like on stage and in the classroom, it just makes you a better improviser but I think you just learn how to handle whatever is thrown at you in mm -hmm. a way that 
works to your benefit. I think the only downside I can see from being a jammer is maybe if you're only ever doing montages, you might not be great at like doing second beats because you rarely get to like a second beat of something mm-hmm. when you're in a jam. Uh, sometimes there's callbacks, but it's only seven to eight minutes, so there's not that much. Yeah. And I think that would probably, and I don't even know if that's true, but that's just me guessing. But yeah. definitely the strength is you just learn how to play with anyone. So they can put you up on that stage and you're like, oh, I've done worse scenes than this. I know how to turn this around. Or like, I can know how to handle this person who's being crazy. And I can only imagine that speaks to their confidence and they just carry that through everything. How has being a jam leader made you a better improviser? I think the thing with learning how to harness someone else's crazy and mm-hmm. like trying to make sense of it, I think it's made me a lot better straight man. Because mm-hmm. I think before I was a jam leader, I was the crazy person, but mm-hmm. now I know how to like handle crazy people a little bit more. Crazy players. Um, <laughs> I think it's taught me a lot of like patience and also like it's taught me. I think also it's helped me with my initiations because when you're improvising with all different levels of people, you really have to make sure your initiation is clear because someone who's not who's in 101 or 201 isn't going to get, ooh, my wonderful initiation that's so high-level thinking and it's a real A to C. Like You just really have to be like very clear with your yeah. initiation that you're doing uh, so that they're able to catch on and not just be like, wait, what? I feel like I forget that anytime mm-hmm. like I do a jam of just kind of like, because I, I will often do like very organic initiations yeah. and then I'll like do something and get no response. And it's right. like, oh, right, we're in this yes. together. Let's hold yes. hands. Yes. Let's walk. Yeah. Even in like in group games, like I'll try and like cue them up for something and like some people get it and other people won't. And I'll just be like, oh, I can just sort of like see the level of differences and like I should have initiated that in a different way mm-hmm. or I should have told them in a different way what I wanted them to do. Uh, as an initiation, mm-hmm. just to sort of speak to every level, I guess. Uh, when you initiate a group game like in a jam, do you try to have like, oh, this is the clear idea? Or is it more of just kind of like, like, do you have like a premise in mind? Or? I, uh, sometimes I have premise in mind. A lot of the time it's just me telling them uh, up top, don't do something. And then they just do it because I'm always like, oh, this always works. So it's like, and it gets people out there. So there's, yeah, just sort of like my surefire way. It is... It's like, it's the the dumbest, simplest, most fun game mm-hmm. of just the like, stop doing that. Yeah. Like, it's like every like early silent film yeah. is just like, yeah. I hope you bakers don't burn don't, the place don't down. Don't burn this place and then it's, in, it's up in smoke. Yeah, yeah, I did a scene on Wednesday that was uh, me being like, okay, everyone quiet down. We're trying to vote for a game for family game night. And then everyone just started screaming and Marshall Stratton was screaming in a way that was so funny. It was so high pitched. It was like a velociraptor or something, and it was so funny. And it's just like everyone just kind of was like, "Oh yeah, that's fun," and they yeah. all did it, and it was so funny. It was great. It's also like on jams, especially you see. I think on with house teams with group games, mm-hmm. that like catastrophe point where it just tips over and everybody's doing it happens yeah. so quickly you don't mm-hmm. see it. In jams, you can really it's like you can see each domino yeah. fall. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, Marshall was doing this then. They saw yeah. it. They saw like, oh, it. Okay. And then it finally like trickled down the line until everyone was just kind of like very high pitched screaming. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I hate this. <laughs> but I love it. That was Kelsey. And now here's Devin again. Part of the jam leader is like sometimes you get 101 students like initiating some crazy stuff or yeah. people who have never taken improv before ever. Like right. and you get some crazy people at the jams. And that's my favorite. Like, yeah. It's, I just want to work with them. And it how come? Is, What's okay? So it makes you do mental gymnastics to really be like, how am I going to get this to a base reality right. at all? But also, 
I want to support their idea. You know, I mm-hmm. want to make them feel like a genius a little bit. And even the audience usually knows. But, you know, but it, I mean, if you come out and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of dildos in my butt at this chicken farm. Yeah. I'm going to be like, there's a bunch of dildos in my butt at this chicken farm. I'm going to make that so true. Right. And I'm going to do it even more than you. And, like, that's the way you have to support. And that's what I'm kind of bringing back to my improv. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much of it seems to be that kind of, like, that under level, the like comedians shaking hands underneath the puppet show picture from the UCB manual. Like mm-hmm. so much of the jam, the shaking hands part, I've noticed like a lot of the good jam leaders really make that clear of like, the, like, hey, I'm with you. Yeah. And they were like, let me give you your game in a, like, you know, yes. with a bow on it. Yeah. And let's just like react hard, state the game, like mm-hmm. label hard and gift. You know, if we don't know where we are, we're going to be like, wow, this supermarket, right. yeah, like really hard. So everyone knows what they're, they're, yeah. what they're doing. And you have to like have just this like calm kind of presence. So mm-hmm. cause a lot of people like, it's a lot of pressure for people to get up on a UCB stage yeah. with some of the people who are up there or watching. You know, and some people are like, oh no, is this going to affect like how I'm, what about right. auditions? I'm like, it's not. It's, yeah. I promise you it's not going to at all. <laughs> like we can certainly like have our favorites from the sure. jams and, but everyone gets so much better from years from going to the jams, you know? Yeah. Uh, I remember people said that to me, you know, I remember like Love Band like took me across. He's like, I remember when you first got to the jams, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, and I see that with so many people, uh, like Ryan Barker and X are like yeah. so much better than yeah. they were when they first got here. And now they're like jam rock stars. Yeah, exactly. I think that we used to and still do sometimes have a culture of like call outy jams. Sure. You know, where it's kind of like waiting for till somebody makes a mistake and then blow out the mistake and it's almost highlighting and making fun right. of sometimes. And I really try not to do that. Yeah. I, I mean it's fun to make fun of people's mistakes when like we clearly established there's a bar here and you walked through it or right. you know something like but it's just like hokey to make fun of somebody for being bad at improv yes. when they're trying yes and so i just usually try to make that true as well celebrate that idea instead of like calling it out so hardcore we've started doing this bad thing which i'm not even sure if it's good of of just like in the audience like vocally being like mm, yes hot jams yes hot jam you know and and like really like hot edits. Oh yeah, yeah. Like this is good. And I'm like, we've talked, started like talking in it, but like I'm almost love being really vocally supportive in an audience, like because we can't do that shit at any other show. Yeah, really. it's created like a very different culture that feels like looser. It feels more friendly. Yeah, know, or even the- when it's bad, we'll be like, hot jam. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Judith runs a jam at the pit. They mm-hmm. did for a while, and it was called Good Scene, and it just the whole audience after. Every scene goes, good scene! <laughs> right. Yeah, good scene. Um, so anything like very affirmative like that, yeah. great. I think you just really have to set up a comfortable place. Ryan Haney was really great at this uh-huh. when Guthrie hosted the jam for like six months. He, and, you know, you see him doing it on Herald Night and the Weekend now, just like this like one-man microphone yes. show. Yeah. Like letting everybody just know the rules of the jam, and it descends into like weird puppet madness. Right. And, that's something that like I think that the jam needs is like to feel like this is something that happens every week and to feel like this is a culture here that will support you. Right. And weirdos are welcome, you right. know. The community can feel so hard to break into. Yeah. Because like I I I didn't know what DCM was for the first like few Right. Took a couple of years I was here because they never tell you yeah. in class. Like they just don't and everybody seemed to know what it was and I didn't and I kind of knew what the jams were because it was on the paper, you know? Yeah. And 
I started going to jams and I really tried to use that as like my break into the community because people were on indie teams and I'm like, where are you guys making these? Yeah. My class comes in and then they leave. Yeah. And it was hard to break into the community. And I see that with the jam kids too. I'm like, these people just want to know people who do this because yeah. we all do. But yeah. like, it's very hard to break into and the jams is like one of those gateways to that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so you host two jams, right? Yeah. So I'm really kind of three. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I do I do the XYZ Jam, right. which is hosted by Fancy Man. And we uh, do, um, it's a LGBTQ improv jam, but it's open for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just do some gay improv, you know? Sure. It's a place for, you know, like, make the references you want to make in your class that you might feel like a little uh, uneasy about. Mm-hmm. And place to see characters and that's not the weird thing about them right and don't automatically get labeled as a woman for speaking in your gay voice right you right. know and that's been really fun and we also feature musical improv at that yeah and so eric gerson accompanies us and we do every other set being a musical jam and that's fun because it's the only musical jam at the theater and yeah. so a lot of these students are interested in that this is their only outlet to try it mm-hmm. With the xyz jam like you mentioned like that different voice and not having that the game and that's I mean, it's great that that exists because that is very, like, I don't know. It's it's unfortunately very rare of kind of, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, not not using that thing that is unusual to maybe, like, me as a person, mm-hmm. seeing that in somebody else and saying, oh, that's the game. Right. I don't really know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we talk about in all different diversity yeah. groups where it's just, like, we grew up with a slight different base reality mm-hmm. than a lot of other people or that seems to be, like, what maybe the UCB thinking is, like, baseline reality. Yes. But we are the UCB. You exactly. Are, I am. Yeah. You know, so, like, whatever, you know, like, for me, it's just, like, Dawson's Creek references and, you know, snapping at things. You right. Know? <laughs> like, and for some people, you know, it's... The WWE and Monster Trucks, you right. know, and I'm like, and it's all true, you know? Yeah. I remember seeing Doppelganger, um, uh-huh. who was like my favorite team when I first got to the theater, mm-hmm. and they were doing like a Wednesday night show with the Beast back then, and uh, after their cage match run, and they, and I've heard Keish talk about this, but they were just doing more scenes where they were like in churches, yeah. you know? And just because that's how they grew up a little more. Yeah. And they made some references to each other that were just not called out as the unusual thing. And they found something really unusual. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to put together my team of Fancy Man, which is all Mm -hmm. gay dudes. And, you know, we do some weird scenes that, like, like, aren't weird to us, you know? Yeah. It's just like, these are, like, normal things for people to do, you know? And it's fun to kind of, like, get that sissy out of you, you (laughs) know? It's fun, like, to have that, you know? Uh, and that also, I feel like that entire team is a team that, how long has that team been together? Like three or four years, really. Yeah. That, that's a team of all people who is like, oh, these are good improvisers. And then, especially over that last past three or four years, and I'm sure there's many reasons for this, but like everybody on that team like just consistently has become better and better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's doing their own thing. Yeah. It's really nice to get together and have a jam at the theater every Every month. Right. Uh, even before, you know, we have other shows we do outside, but like this has become like a nice little home. Right. You know, to hang out with each other and keep up with each other and not have to schedule our indie shows and scrape, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. That was Devin, and now here's Catherine Mudon. We are going to talk some more about some of the crazies who show up for jams. And so I'll say, if you go to the jams, and if you're worried that we're talking about you, we're not. 
the lunatics we are talking about do not have the presence of mind to even consider that they may ever, ever be wrong or crazy. And they are certainly not listening to a podcast about improv, let alone, say, taking a class on how to get better at improv. They are the really weird, fun people who just wander in off the street, as far as I can tell. Anyway, here is Catherine. Oh, jams are fun. Jams are. I miss jams. If they weren't so damn late, I think that I would be more of a jam head. There's just something nice when you feel like, and not for all levels, but when you can tell there's like a few nervous people, first jam, and just pulling them into the flock and initiating with somebody who's maybe been hugging the back wall and like gifting them. You really flip into gift mode. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, that's awesome that blah, blah, blah. Just like giving them their deal. And then you're just like, well, whenever I receive, when when anyone gets a gift, it's like, yes. Ooh, we're done. This is the thing. Here we go. So heavy gifting. What else is fun? Oh, the lunatics, all the lunatics that are, I don't know why a jam is so attractive to crazy improvisers. Why is that? uh, Patton Oswalt has a bit about uh, hosting open mics, about how he always (laughs) would try to host open mics because there are people who are like, I have things I need to say and I never get to say it. And then they see like a flyer that says like, <laughs> go up on stage and they're like, this is my chance. They're going to give me a microphone. Uh, um, and I feel like the jam sometimes becomes that of like, oh, this is a chance. I haven't really, nobody's talked back to me yeah. yet. And yeah. this is a chance to, I get to get up on stage and I will say something and then people will. They have to support have me. To it's respond. the nature yeah. of the show. These vets have to like <laughs> tell me, make me feel great. Um, but playing with lunatics is so fun. I remember way, way back in the day, I had asked Lennon Parma if I could pick her brain, took her to a coffee. I think I was in like 201, 301, and I was like, you know, whatever. Just asked for advice. And the piece of advice she gave me that stuck with me is to get great, play with people much better than you and much worse than you. And I loved that. And so, Jim, I'm sounding like a very unkind person. <laughs> But a jam is a great opportunity to play with really, really bad improvisers. Mm-hmm. But that's not a bad thing. Yeah. That's a great workout. Uh, and it's that old Will Hines thing of like, give them the hardest yes they have ever felt yes. in their life. Yes, yes, yes. Because they're going to want to fight, not in a fun way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to have a lot of problems. They're going to want to fight like, yes, yes, yes. You're 100% right. Here we go. Um, yeah. It And it, it gives... It, it does. It is that little bit of confidence because Guthrie was a Lloyd team at the time, or was, uh, or was that Harold? Harold. No, Guthrie, Guthrie was Harold. Right? Yeah. But like, it does add that confidence of like, oh, I can do a scene with anybody. Like, yeah, yeah. Doing those those uh, varieties, and even people who have like done the jam for a while when they come, and uh, like they essentially will take on the role of being like a jam leader. Of like, yes, you'll see them step out with somebody new and do that same thing, and it is like. Yeah, that yeah. is great to watch and great to feel. Yeah, and I remember as a student, like those improv, like the Neil Casey of, or just Neil Casey. Mm-hmm. It's like, can this person do a bad scene? Yeah, no, it's seemingly no. It's like, holy crap, they can be with. He would always, you know, go to kaleidoscope yes. and stuff, and it was just like, geez, Louise, yeah. the consistency yes. at any. There's nothing. There's nothing. No curveball that he can't like turn yeah. into a home run. What are some other things you tried to keep in mind as hosting the jam? You mentioned like bringing out the people who were hugging the wall, which I think is very funny because like in our first class macro scene, <laughs> these... did I get in trouble for hugging the wall? Yes. In the poster, I drew you against the wall of McManus because Kevin had given you the note of like, I think his note was literally like. 
Catherine, you're great. You got to get in scenes. Like, it was literally like that. Like, oh my god, that is so funny. I know for sure I have had Catherine classes where that was the note, and now yes, that is coming back to me. Oh man, yeah. But so then, yeah, that to tell yourself to go back and tell yourself, like, just get out there. These people are not better than you. Yeah, these oh, people no. are not better than you. These people, no. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't yeah. know why we go through those ups and downs of mm-hmm. like feeling like everyone's a genius but me. Yeah. Everyone is so great at macro scene. I don't get it. Like, just do it. I was just, so I just did a, uh, Ken and I did a workshop with Terry Withers uh, in Ooh, Connecticut. Yeah. Such a treat to get to play with him again. And he was in that class. And I was remembering, because he told the audience, he was like, Catherine and I have been improvised together since 2008, 2009. I think so, yeah. Holy Eight cow. Eight or nine, yeah. Anyway, I distinctly remember do getting off the. I did get off the wall into a scene with Terry Withers, and I don't remember anything other than he would only address me by looking in at me through mirrors. <laughs> so I thought I was in a two-person scene, and he was only looking at me. There were like various mirrors in the room. This, if to listeners it makes no sense, it also makes no sense the way I'm describing it with my hands. And then I apologized to Kevin after. I was like, I don't, I'm really sorry. I was so confused. I had no idea. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. First of all, Catherine never apologized. This is me telling my uh, eight years ago yeah. self. Uh, and Kevin goes, don't apologize. No one in this room had a clue what was going on except for Terry Withers. <laughs> and so that made me feel a lot yes. better. There's, especially early on, there's, it, it's the, um, the checkout line uh, paradox of like so like if you're in a lot if you're in a checkout line right mathematically it always seems like all other lines are yes. going faster than you yeah because when you move a little bit the amount that you move faster than the others it doesn't seem as much whatever than every other is this lane. real or you're this saying is real it? this is like a real thing <gasps> that's that so true basically every or if you're stuck in traffic every other lane is going to seem to be going faster because I mean, you will basically notice everyone, and then when you move, you're not judging that in the same way. There's oh more math behind God, it that I forget. That's so brilliant and true. But it's the same thing with yeah, with like your first couple of years or your first like four or five years. Sometimes it's everybody else is getting so much better yes. than me. Yes. Oh my else God, that's brilliant, Curtis. It. Yes. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. That is such a good analogy. <gasps> that's really, folks, beat by beat with Curtis. <laughs> With Curtis I was telling Curtis before we start filming that my students always bring up beat by beat. And this is why, folks, these fucking gems. There's one gem, and then there's going to be three hours of just <laughs> me rambling around it. Oh, that's so true. But the jams the are such a fun way to move ahead that little bit and to kind of see, like, oh, I've actually come very far. Yes. To be able to do, like, especially when you're not... I love hosting the jam much more than I do going to jams. Yes. Like, and I yes. didn't go to jams that much because they weren't really around when like we were coming up as as much. But the few times I would go, it was like, oh crap, uh, eight minutes. I'm on stage for eight right. minutes, and I get to do one scene, maybe two. It felt like I was just swinging at every pitch as hard as I could to try to knock something out of the park, yeah. which is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But now, as like a host, you get to kind of like relax and. Do much more of like, oh, I just get to do a bunch of scenes yes. and not worry about it as yeah. much. Yeah, and there's such a good prescription. For a certain level of student, it's such a good prescription of mm-hmm. like, 
go just do a bunch of scenes so you will learn like that scene was excruciatingly bad and I'm still like a worthy person like this does not define your worth you just did like seven minutes of nonsense and you're still fine yes yeah it couldn't matter less also on the other side people who do bad scenes I think often think that anyone else remembers their bad scenes as if like I saw Catherine do a bad scene once and she's garbage. She's trash. <laughs> Throw her up. Yeah. We're like, I don't, and like, and there's so many people like, and especially yeah. if you host the jam for a while, you see people do bad scenes. You see people do great scenes. You just really yeah. start worrying about like, who's reliably fun. Yeah. Who yeses, who listens. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, listening. Oh, my God. That's another another jam. <laughs> A little jam trick. <laughs> Classic jam trick. Listen. Listening. Hey, go ahead and try it. Try it out. Give it a whirl. There's that version of it's not that you're talking and not listening, but it's like your brain is like formulating the next yes. thing to think of. And you yeah. do that like pull back a little bit yes. while you're working <clears throat> on it. I watched this TED Talk. This is not. This is tangentially related. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing this mentalist. At, uh, have you seen a mentalist? It was great. Uh, it's just a magician of, yes. of the yeah, brain. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. And so then that led me to uh, this TED Talk from a pickpocket. Have you seen him? It's called The Art of Distraction. Um, n- I know, but I've seen other things where I think probably the same guy did yeah, it. There was like a long profile on him on The New Yorker a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, really? And he was like on The Today Show or something like that. Oh, yes. cool. I'll have to find okay. that. But this is, he just brings a dude on stage and distracts him, distracts him, distracts him. The next thing you know, he's like, here's your watch. Here's everything that was in your pocket. And also I've changed my shirt and the audience didn't even realize like he had a yeah. fake shirt underneath had ripped that off but i like watched it a thousand times on replay he never stops talking and engaging and asking questions and he also like is always touching yeah and so when your brain i can't like think about i can't focus on this thing if i'm already thinking about what you've asked me yeah to the improv thing of i i'm thinking about what I want to say or what I want the scene to be about or who, what, where. I'm thinking about all these things. I can't even listen that you've just told me we're sisters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so easy for the brain to just... It can handle so few things. I mean, the the like don't think thing as like kind of simple as it sometimes sounds, you really have to like, oh, I can't figure out what that next line is going to be until Catherine ends her her line. Yes. Because I don't know where it's going to end. It's, I have to hear the yes, end of that sentence and then literally. I can say. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. How feeble-minded we are. Like, please don't try and do two thoughts at yes. once. It'll ruin, it'll ruin your art. Uh, any other things that you loved to do during the jam? It's fun putting, so you'll get like the asshole guy. Mm-hmm. Or, no, usually. <laughs> the asshole improvised mm-hmm. fun to like put a little thumbprint. On. Is that bullying? Maybe the word I'm looking for is bullying. Uh, it's fun to bully. <laughs> you have to respond in a certain way of like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. If they're too aggro or like yes. if they try and do like, because people get nervous in different ways. That's another fun thing about mm-hmm. teaching is how people's nervousness filters. And you will say like shocking things that I know you probably don't believe but it feels as though you're like making a move and to like thumbprint them is kind of satisfying. That was Catherine. Jams are a specific tool, as are practice groups, performing indie teams, and classes. They're a great way to get some reps in and to work on other specific goals. 
And if you're new to an improv community, they're a great way to start to get to know people. There are many people in the community I now know because I first met them at a jam. For instance, X. I think in one of our first scenes together, she referenced a zombie Franklin Roosevelt. So I walked in as zombie Franklin Roosevelt or whatever. Also, because there are more and more specialized jams, there are places to perform in a space that may feel more comfortable. Devin mentioned the XYZ Jam, which is an LGBTQ plus jam that's open to anyone, but there's also so many others. We've had Latinx jams, Asian American jams, jams for improvisers over 35, jams for multicultural improvisers, and so on and so on. Those can be great chances to do some quick scenes with people you may feel more comfortable performing with. And if you've been an improviser for a while, think about helping to host a jam. You'll meet new improvisers and by making them look good, you're going to get better and better at making yourself look good. That was episode 18, Jams. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. C-U-R-T-I-S-R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. Also, if you want to support me and help pay for the hosting costs of this podcast, you can do it via my Patreon, patreon.com slash actuallycurtis. Thank you so much to everyone who has already done so, and thanks to everyone who is part of this episode. Devin Ritchie. Hi, my name's X Mayo. Hi, Lydia Hensler. Kelsey Bailey. Catherine Mudon. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. <laughs>